0: Sweet home Alabama, bum, 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 bum Where the skies are so blue, bum, 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 bum. Sweet home Alabama, bum, 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 bum Lord, I'm coming home to you.
1: Well, if you're still listening, welcome to of course they're JK still listening. with John and Kate. I am one of your hosts, Kate Scanlon, here with John Street. And we have a lot to say in this week's episode about, you guessed it, Alabama. Sweet
0: home, Alabama. And
1: John's going to sing for you some more. This is off to a great start.
0: I know. Like, just please, like, don't send me all of your requests for autographs at once. <laughs>
1: going to have to spread those out. Yeah. A busy, I'm a busy guy. Busy person, right? I'm a busy guy. All
0: right. So... Let's touch on the Roy Moore and Doug Jones race in Alabama. How was that?
1: Yes, uh that ended last night. Uh in a surprise plot twist, there is going to be a Democrat senator from Alabama.
0: For the first time in 25 in, years. Yeah. Now, I I said a couple of a couple of episodes ago, I think, uh that I that I predicted Roy Moore would win. I didn't like predicting that Roy Moore would win but I did and I was wrong and I've never been so glad to be wrong in my life. I've never been so glad for a democrat to win.
1: I think um I think it was Charles Cook from National Review. I think he said it best when he said Republicans deserved to lose this race. Yeah. Steve Bannon deserved to lose this race and most of all Roy Moore deserved to lose this race. Um I mean essentially when you have it, it's kind of refreshing honestly like we talk so much about tribalism in American politics and how partisan and divided everything is now. It's nice to know there are still
0: some limits,
1: bare minimum standards that the electorate has for their officials. And I guess one of those bare minimum standards is that you not be credibly accused of pedophilia. So um,
0: that's good. to know.
1: Yeah. So um, it was a very, very close race. So the day before the election, there were two major polls that came out and one had Doug Jones up by 10 and one had Roy Moore down by nine
0: and a lot of people
1: downplayed
0: yeah. the Doug Jones one where he was up by 10 because the polls yeah. had just been all over the place right
1: the polls have been so over the place and that race is notoriously difficult to poll, as I under- poll because as I understand it um it's just it's a tough electorate to grasp and it's a tough situation because um obviously maybe it's the kind of situation where you have they don't necessarily want to tell a pollster they're right. gonna vote for Roy Moore they might or they might not want to admit they're going to vote for a Democrat, even you know right. what I mean, like it's that kind of thing. Um, so when I saw those two polls come out, I was like, this is going to be a very, very close race. Well, and, and
0: another thing, why I think polls are so unreliable is because they only they only rely on landlines. They only call landlines. I don't even own a landline. I mean, obviously, I don't yeah, live it's in used, Alabama, but it's how used many to
1: an older how many electorate? Yeah, so yeah. I mean.
0: Obviously, there were there was a, a pretty a significant millennial turnout. Um, my guess is that a lot of those millennials don't own a landline; they have a cell phone.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so they ended up less than two percent. It was closer to one percent difference.
0: Which is interesting because Roy Moore came out after Doug Jones gave his victory speech and refused to concede and said that Alabama state law requires an automatic recount if the margin is within half a percentage point, which is, uh... I mean, that just wasn't the case because Doug Jones was up by at least 1.5% at that mm-hmm. point.
1: So it's fascinating that this guy who run, who paints himself as, you know, a constitutionalist, a law and order guy, doesn't seem to understand what the Alabama law is in this situation. And that his uh, margin of loss would not trigger a recount. And so you essentially... What I thought was fascinating was you essentially had the Alabama GOP, who's been very supportive of Roy Moore through this whole process. They stood by him. Um, they refused to consider getting another candidate in there or write-in. They refused to consider... With the exception of, of
0: the NRSC.
1: I, I'm talking about the state GOP. Oh, yes, the yes. The state GOP. So then you had the state GOP come out last night and essentially say... Essentially, acknowledge that Doug Jones won the election, and right. so it'll be interesting to see now.
0: I mean, President Trump acknowledged that Doug right. Jones right. won in um, a, in a highly unusual presidential tweet.
1: Mm-hmm. It was very measured. It was I very, um,
0: when they played that tweet when they showed that tweet Conway on
1: that on
0: tweet, TV, yeah, <laughs> President Conway wouldn't when, when they played that tweet on on TV as as I was watching the results last night. Uh, the tweet came up, and my roommate and I just looked at each other just, like, dumbfounded. Like, like, who wrote that, and where did our president go?
1: The thing about Trump's wild tweets is they usually happen around 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. They don't usually happen at, during primetime. Right. Television. They usually happen during Fox and Friends.
0: Talk about driving the
1: day. Right. They usually happen when Fox and Friends is on the air. Um, so you essentially either had the president or a staff member compose a tweet that was essentially very measured and right. acknowledge that Doug Jones won. Um, so it's it's a fascinating situation because <coughs> you you have, I can't think of an election in my lifetime quite like this, where the stakes have been so high for a seat that there's going to be another, this is like a, a two-year term. He's right. going to be serving. So, I mean, the people of Alabama are going to have to go through this all over again right. in 2020 which is not that far away no it's right not so it's just fascinating that um how this all came out and, and it'll be interesting to see the main criticism of doug jones i was reading an interesting article today that essentially made the point that if doug jones wants to keep this seat beyond 2020 he is going to have to start moderating his <coughs> position on abortion right um and so, it'll be interesting to see whether or not that happens, and if it does, whether or not that works. work. Um,
0: it'll also be inter- interesting to see if the GOP may recruit Jeff Sessions right. to run for his old seat. Right. Because if that, that happens, if it's Jeff Sessions versus Doug Jones,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think I know how that's going to turn out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I saw this great tweet today that referred to Doug Doug Jones as a future ambassador to New Zealand, which is <laughs> essentially like, I believe that's Scott Brown's role right now. So yeah. uh, kind of making a comparison between how, you know, the Republicans got Scott Brown in Massachusetts in, what was that, 2010? That I believe been, so, yeah. Um, and that didn't work out in the long term. No, so that was not. kind of a short term victory. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing here. The Democrats, though, sent out a fascinating fundraising email today, essentially saying, making the case that if we can win in Alabama, we can win anywhere where Democrats are organized. And so it'll be interesting to see if they start... I've seen some people say they want to go after Ted Cruz's seat really hard in Texas. Um, see, so here, we'll have to see if that I, And I think, obviously, there's differences in that there's unique opportunities that a special election provides that a general election doesn't.
0: Right. So um, one of the things... And responding to that and Democrats saying if they can win in Alabama, they can win anywhere. I take issue with that, and I, I wrote about this for Red State last night, and one of the points that I made was, yes, a Democrat won in Alabama, but it also took a Republican candidate who was credibly accused of child molestation for a Democrat to win there. Mm-hmm. Um If they're going for Ted Cruz's seat in Texas, which is also obviously a reliably Republican uh, state, uh, chances are they're not going to have another opponent who – they're not going to have an opponent who is credibly accused of child molestation. I'm just going out on a limb here. I mean
1: bad candidates are bad candidates. In any state, no matter how red or blue it is. Right. Um, And that's essentially, I think, the lesson here. Um, So We'll have to see if Republicans choose to learn that lesson moving forward, particularly um, if Steve Bannon is going to continue to play a role in uh, selecting, shall we say, some of these candidates. Sure. Um, Because his track record thus far has been basically to put a Democrat in an Alabama Senate seat. So be fascinating to see if people still decide to hold Steve Bannon up as a kingmaker in the GOP.
0: Yeah, and I I mean, you know, if Doug Jones had run against a, you know, a traditional Republican candidate, i.e. another Jeff Sessions, or someone like that, even a more moderate
1: The um, words generic Republican Republican, on the ballot. Might have defeated Doug Chance. you know what I mean? Right, like, it's that kind of ex- yeah, ex-
0: exactly. Right. So I mean, right. it's not as if suddenly we all realize and wake up to the wake up to Alabama being a blue state or trending even slightly more to the left. I, I definitely don't think that's the case at all. And I, I mean, obviously, yeah, the Democrats are going to say that because that um, helps their narrative. But at the end of the day, I just don't think that is the case, and I think that's. Um, I mean, that's wishful thinking on their part.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So something that's kind of semi-related to the Roy Moore fiasco is the Al Franken fiasco. Because um, there had been some, obviously, um, for those of you who aren't aware, Al Franken announced his intentions to resign from his seat in Congress um, last week over um, sexual harassment allegations. Al Franken, he's been accused of groping multiple women um, without their consent, including one woman who has a photograph of the moment. Oh, but Kate,
0: so someone on in my Twitter feed was legitimately telling like defending Franken because they said, Well, you can see the space and the shadows in oh, okay, the goodness. photo, he wasn't actually touching her.
1: You know, that's this that's reminds me of the people who said that uh of pedoph- Ray Moore wasn't Roy Moore wasn't a pedophile because pedophilia starts at the cutoff is age 13 not 14 technicalities are, uh, oh,
0: I, I can't I can't even this.
1: amazing um, so anyway back to Al Franken um, <coughs> so there had been speculation that if Roy Moore was elected to the Senate Al Franken would make a case that he should be able to keep his Senate seat um you ha- if you listen well, that out the if you listen right if you listened very carefully to his speech um, last week you'll notice that the words, i am sorry" were not really anywhere in it. There nope. really wasn't an apology, there really wasn't any remorse. He kind of used it. He was speaking to an audience of one and that audience uh, sits in the Oval Office and he was essentially saying I'm
0: aware of the irony um,
1: that because Trump has been accused of uh, misconduct that he should be able to stay in the Senate. Uh, it, I mean, it's just I, I personally find it distasteful that we hold everyone to the Trump standard just because Trump has seemingly got away with it thus far doesn't mean everyone should get away with it. Right. Trump's gonna have his moment of reckoning. Eventually. Oh yeah. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It's gonna happen. So this idea that like that's the new standard for behavior for everyone, I just I, I don't buy it. This. Right. Um. But anyway, so. Um. Roy Moore's defeat obviously uh, brought new attention to Al Franken and his resignation date, which has yet to be announced. Um, but there are clearly some Minnesotans who are anxiously awaiting that because the governor of Minnesota, Governor uh, Mark Dayton, named Mark, yeah, named uh, the woman who will be appointed to Al Franken's seat, uh, the state's lieutenant governor, um, Tina Smith. And what's fascinating about Dayton and Smith is that they're they're an affiliate of the Democrat Party. It's called uh, it's like the uh, Democratic Farmers Labor Party. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be. And, I mean, obviously, she's going to caucus with Democrats because it's right. it's an affiliate of the Democrat Party. Um, but she uh, has worked in. She was the governor's chief of staff. Before she was lieutenant governor, she's had a career in marketing and um, public relations for General Mills and some uh, campaigns for the Democratic uh, Farmer Labor Party. And she was also once the vice president of a Planned Parenthood affiliate in Minnesota, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, I think it is. And so um, that's also very fascinating as well. Um, So Planned Parenthood was celebrating that on Twitter today. You can read um, more about Tina Smith. Um, I wrote a piece about her up on the Blaze. Um, so You can check that out if you want to know more about her background.
0: I'm sure Cecil Richards is giddy right now.
1: I'm sure she is.
0: Have we talked to her lately, Kate?
1: No. No, I have not. I have not. How come? Well, you'd have to ask her. Because it hasn't been for lack of trying. Anyway, uh, we also wanted to talk about uh, Trump's little War of words with uh, Kirsten Gillibrand.
0: Yes. So uh, was that yesterday when he tweeted uh, about uh, Kirsten Kirsten Gillibrand, and he made some sexual innuendo in that tweet, essentially suggesting that.
1: Well, let's let's read the tweet. Let's let's let the people. Do you have it pulled Do up? Because I, I don't. Up. I have it okay, up. good. You read it. Um, Lightweight Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a total flunky for Chuck Schumer and someone who would come into my office begging, in quotes, unquote, for campaign contributions not so long ago, parentheses, and would do anything for them, close parentheses, is now in the ring fighting against Trump. Very disloyal to Bill and crooked, all caps, used, exclamation point.
0: Now, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders Tells us all that our minds are in the gutter because we think that that is sexual. The
1: phrase in in question here is would do anything.
0: Would do anything.
1: What does that mean? So essentially, people are reading this as Trump accusing, let's just say it as Trump accusing Christian Gillibrand of prostituting herself for, in some manner, for campaign contributions, Mm -hmm. which is obviously a disgusting thing for anyone to say, let alone the sitting president of the United States to say, Um, when there's absolutely no basis or evidence whatsoever for that that kind of claim. Um, And so just a little bit of background here. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders, as John said, Sarah Huckabee Sanders essentially said that people who think that, their minds are in the gutter. Um, Which is plausible, right? Mm. He didn't directly say it. But at the same time, this is a man who has accused Megyn Kelly of asking him a difficult question at a debate she was demonstrating. So, I mean, this is not out of the out of character for him right. to insinuate these kind of things. And just kind of if you're looking at the tweet the way it's kind of with the parentheses, it's just kind of like...
0: It's it, almost as if, as if the parentheses like were inclined. meant to right. bring emphasis
1: right. to it that. It feels like that's what he's implying. Um, so then the other piece of context here is that Kirsten Gillibrand, to my knowledge, was the fourth sitting senator to call for Trump's resignation. She was one of the first. Yeah. She was four. Mm -hmm. You had Wyden, Booker and um, Bernie Sanders, not Sarah Sanders, Bernie Sanders call for his resignation, but seemingly only gets the attention of the president when a female senator does it. It's a little bit. So, you know, Wyden didn't get a tweet. Bernie Sanders didn't get a tweet. Um, Cory Booker didn't get a tweet, but Kirsten Gillibrand says the same thing, and
0: he, and he tweets look this about what she her. Gets, yeah. So
1: then the other thing that's fascinating here is um, I want to I want to kind of get to the part where he says that she was disloyal to the Clintons. Mm-hmm. Um, also, those of you who missed twenty sixteen, Crooked is his nickname for Hillary. Um, so Kirsten Gillibrand essentially said a couple was it a couple weeks ago? My sense of time is off by this news cycle because oh same. Isn't, Um, So recently she said that she, in light of all these sexual harassment allegations, in light of this kind of new conversation we're having as a society about these sorts of things, um, Kristen Gillibrand essentially said that um, she thinks Bill Clinton should have resigned in the 90s and that it was a mistake for the Democrats to hold him up and defend him in light of how he treated women, particularly Monica Lewinsky, who was an intern and his employee right and that got a lot of of attention
0: at the time
1: and so i'm fascinated that trump trump has this like weird sort of as much as he hates hillary and as much as he likes to go after hillary there's always been kind of this air of like camaraderie that he feels for bill clinton and so it's almost like he's upset that someone was quote-unquote disloyal to bill clinton which i don't really understand um I mean, just I. I mean, they're like, similar men in the sense that they're both kind of like. It's like the not excuse he gave
0: for gentleman. firing. It's like the excuse he gave for firing Comey is like, well, because he didn't handle the Clinton email investigation well. It's like, since when do you care about how Hillary right. Clinton is treated?
1: Right. But it's just. Am kind I remembering
0: remembering that right?
1: No. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. it's just fascinating that so he essentially and then at the time and then it. Kristen Gillibrand also got his attention when she said that about Bill Clinton, because he essentially, he and his surrogates essentially said mm. that, like, Kristen Gillibrand was kind of, has been supported in her career by the Clintons. The seat that she sits in was Hillary Clinton's seat. Yes. Um, you know, just this kind of stuff. Um, and so the, the idea that Trump feels compelled to defend Bill Clinton's honor is something that never ceases to amaze me. Um... So there's a lot going on in this tweet, as usual, as there usually is in the president's tweet. It's
0: a presidency of chaos, for sure. But another interesting component to this story is that after Trump tweeted about Gillibrand, USA Today put out an editorial that was, in Kate's words, lit. (laughs) Um, And I do mean lit. Uh, I'll just I'll just read a, a short part of it uh, says President Trump's Twitter attack on Senator Kirsten, Kirsten, Kirsten Gillibrand, which she called a sexist smear, is fueling Democratic calls for congressional hearings on the president's own alleged past sexual misconduct, uh, even with some even calling joining the call for him to resign. Uh, and it goes on to to say later uh it says if I can if I can find the extremely fiery part, um uh, talking about where. Uh where did it go?
1: The part we had discussed. Yes. Um, I've got it right here. A president who would all but call Senator Kirsten Gillibrand a whore is not fit to clean the toilets in the Barack there Obama Presidential Library or shine the shoes of George W. Bush. Ouch. That was that was the line. Dim's
0: fighting words.
1: Um Yes. Um That was And they they went on to say that while um Obama and Bush both had certain failures in their administrations, um the basic decency of each man was never in doubt. Quote, right. Donald Trump, the man, on the other hand, is uniquely awful. His sickening behavior is corrosive to the enterprise of a shared governance based on common values and the consent of the governed it should be no surprise how low he went with Gillibrand. And then he kind of goes on um, to talk about some of the other ways he's talked about women, essentially. Oh, and there's a list. And there is quite a list. Um, I mean, I brought up the Megan Kelly example. I, I mean, I don't know if people remember, even in the primary, he said Carly Fiorino was too ugly to be president. Look at Look that, at that face. Look at the face of our next president as if it's a joke. And I mean, it's just stuff like that. And I think she said it she said it wonderfully at the debate. You know, is that when they asked her, I think was he women across America be, heard her. Yeah, women across him. America heard very clearly what Donald Trump said, um, and I think that line might work in this situation as well. Um, now, I did run a search out of curiosity um, to see if Trump has used this kind of language before, and he has um, on several occasions. I, I couldn't find any for the phrase "would do anything." But if you look up do anything, there were a couple Ted Cruz tweets that included something to the effect of, like, will do anything um, for whatever. So, but again, Ted Cruz is uh, someone Trump looks down on as well. Um, so just throwing that out there for whatever it's worth. i um, But again, there's a lot going on here as usual with the president. And as much as the president likes to tout Twitter as his method of, you know, speaking to the people without the media filter or whatever, um, it certainly creates more problems for him. Because again, like if you go on the assumption, like for the sake of argument, let's just say that's not what he was implying, which I'm not convinced, but let's just say that. If you would run this through a single communication staffer, they would have been able to say, maybe let's rephrase this. You know what I mean? Like he creates so many unnecessary problems for himself Mm -hmm. at best. And at worst, he called a sitting senator a whore. So, you know, a typical uh, Tuesday in Trump's America, pretty much.
0: I'm still waiting on my past, my uh, my visa for Canada. <laughs> it's cold this time of year. It
1: is. It but it is. gets
0: nice in the summertime. It
1: is. Um, I think it would be great if you went to Canada, John.
0: You trying to get rid of me? You want me
1: to leave? Maybe, maybe.
0: Could we? We could do the podcast, like. We
1: could probably.
0: With each that. of us in different countries, we, we could, could definitely do that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um. So anyway, let's move on to a nicer moment that happened um, just today. Moments
0: of rare bipartisanship, rare
1: uh, camaraderie. So, as many of you may know. Um, Arizona Senator John McCain is battling a very aggressive form of brain cancer. Um,
0: it's actually the same uh, form of brain cancer that Vice President, Vice, former Vice President Joe Biden's son um, suffered and, and passed away from.
1: Mm-hmm. And so John McCain's daughter Megan McCain, who's on the View now, um, <coughs> was the panel was interviewing Joe Biden today, and she became um, very emotional talking about. Her her father and the connection with Beau Biden, um, and saying it's it's the same kind of of cancer that they had, and, and she she started to to weep really, mm-hmm. and um, so Biden got up from his seat and came over to comfort her, and um, just said, you know, there's a lot of hope, Megan. One of the things that gave Bo courage, my word, was John, your dad you may remember when you were a little kid, your dad took care of my bow, And so he just kind of talked about how, um, you know, there's all kinds of breakthroughs in cancer research Mm -hmm. and you just kind of have to hold on to hope. And, um, he, and then he just went on to say that, um, he and McCain, he respects McCain a lot and, um, they're like brothers, even though their points of view are different. And, um, and it was just a really sweet moment in,
0: it was rough it, news cycle yeah it it, yeah. it definitely was it was good to see um people of obviously two different parties just putting politics for aside for for just a moment and recognizing that we're all people we all have um our struggles our struggles in 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 our each of our lives and just to be able to Relate, especially with Joe Biden's um, case with his son and it being the same form of cancer as as what uh, John McCain is currently suffering from. Uh, I think that puts a, a unique, um, a unique element into that story. So mm-hmm. definitely, definitely an uplifting moment. If you if you did not see it, I would strongly encourage you to go check out that clip. You can find I think ABC um uh, tweeted out the clip.
1: ABC did. I right. retweeted it. Um it's on John McCain's Twitter feed as well. Right. You can definitely find it if you haven't seen definitely
0: it. Definitely worth the watch though. Mm-hmm. Another interesting moment from Joe Biden's appearance on the view was a not so subtle hints that Biden gave that he very well may be running in 2020. And Brandon Morris at Red State wrote a piece uh, on this today, and I am pulling this up. My computer is going super slow.
1: (laughs) Slow is fun.
0: But here's what he said. Maybe.
1: Maybe we have it. (laughs) Maybe
0: we have it. Do we have it? I'm really
1: glad that... All three people who I'm listen to this s- podcast are still with us. Thank you. At this point. Particularly, I want to give a little shout out to my friend Emily Davis and my friend Hannah Richards for all the Twitter love. So, thank you for that, ladies.
0: Thank you. The more we can get, the merrier. And then, this random dude down in Georgia, I believe it is, Jackson Williams, I think, listens to us as well. He uh, has tweeted us quite a bit. Um, and always eager to hear the next podcast. So, Jackson, buddy, thanks for your loyalty. Um,
1: and, Chris Field, if you're listening to this, why are you listening to this? That's go away. Look, we don't want you. I want to
0: know. Go away. We don't want you. I don't have it, Kate.
1: Well, um, I think you could probably sum it up for everybody.
0: I'm going to sum it up. So, essentially, he said... Well, if I had to make a decision as to re- whether I re- run for president today, I probably would not because of how, because of where my family is. But if I had to do it a year from now or down the road, you know that could be a possibility.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- speaker, I, he's he's shown reluctance to say that the family is ready in light of right. both death. So that obviously is a lot of emotional trauma and baggage, and that the family's working through. And so, um. And
0: so I mean, it's only been two years. He yeah, passed away it's, in 2015. So um, sixteen, it's,
1: wasn't it? Wasn't it last year, or was it? I heard. Maybe I'm. It, it's. It's been, been recently. Recent, yeah. Fairly recent, and so the family's still very much in a right. mourning period. Um. So it'll be interesting to see. We were we were talking before. We don't really know who else the Democrats have to run um, because, you know, you don't want to pivot too far to the left. You, you right. kind of want to win back those Obama voters that flipped to Donald Trump. Yes. And there's a very specific type of candidate that's going to be able to do that. And Joe Biden probably is that candidate.
0: Well, Joe Biden definitely has the blue collar appeal. Yeah. He's from Pennsylvania one of the states that put Trump over the top was Pennsylvania. I think if Biden ran in 2020, I think Biden would um, defeat Trump in Pennsylvania. I think there's a very, very good chance that Biden would take uh, Wisconsin and Michigan away from Trump as well. If that happens, Biden could very well be the next president, even if even if Trump carries some of the states that no one thought he would this time around in 2016.
1: Um, It's just amazing to think about what a mess both parties are in because you have a historically unpopular Republican president and you have a Democrat party who might not be capable of defeating him. Like, people kind of talk about Trump getting voted out as if it's a foregone conclusion. Well, the man got elected in the first place. Yeah. like, it'll be fascinating to see... um, how how people choose to. The problem for this.
0: Democrats is they don't have a bench because one of the results of uh, Barack Obama being elected to the presidency and and not to say that this is, is entirely Barack Obama's fault. But what happened after Obama got elected was that, I mean, there were Republicans getting elected to, you know, you know, state houses across the country um, in record numbers to governorships across the country in record numbers, um, the Democratic Party was just entirely decimated. And so as a result of that, they really don't have a bench of up-and-comers who are ready to run for president.
1: So someone who's in a, probably a, the target age range for Democrats would be Cory Booker Um Right. And he's pretty personable and pretty likable in a lot of ways, but um, pretty, pretty... More on the left. progressive side. And he's side, from yeah. New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you kind of want someone who carries weight in a state that you could flip. So, right. I mean, there's a lot of factors here that that um, will have to be considered, and it depends, obviously, on who's willing to throw their hat in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're probably going to have a lot of people... It's, it's kind of probably going to be comparable to the Republican primary this time around, you're probably going to have a lot of people trying to throw their hats in the ring because there's a vacancy essentially, you know, there's kind of been this foregone conclusion for so long that uh, Hillary Clinton would be in her first term right now. And so, you know, there's a rebuilding process still happening there. So it'll be interesting to see if they have a primary like the GOP one.
0: Definitely, for sure. Um, Definitely something to watch. And there will be, No shortage of uh, drama um, when it comes to politics uh, for the next few years, I think.
1: Anyways. Very soon it'll be 2018 and we have the midterm fund to deal with. (sighs) (laughs) Uh, If I may quote the president, it never ends. That was a different tweet. We didn't get into that tweet.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, don't worry. I
1: think that was was a line from one of the... I'll quote
0: the president. We'll see. (laughs) we'll see
1: well uh ladies and gentlemen we will see you next time here on jk as usual please let us know what you think of the show reach out to us on social media yeah Um, we love hearing from you guys write us a review on itunes we'd really appreciate that um
0: subscribe to us on itunes google play you can listen to us on soundcloud we will be on Spotify and other um uh, other channels um, very soon and we'll keep you guys updated on where you, where else you can find us in the, in the very near future but i believe that we are going to do uh try to do one more show before um christmas
1: yep that's the so goal
0: cool. and so we'll talk to you guys before christmas but um have a great week and Stay warm.
1: Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.